Welcome to Emily Rose Meditations. I'm your host, Emily, and today we'll be engaging Julian of Norwich to help us seek and behold the presence of God. This is the 10th chapter of Julian of Norwich's long text entitled Revelations of Divine Love. Take a deep breath, and wherever you are, let your shoulders relax, let your attention settle, and I invite you to open your heart to these words. And after this, I saw with my bodily sight in the face of Christ on the crucifix, which hung before me, which I was looking at continuously, a part of his passion, contempt and spitting, dirt and blows, and many lingering pains, more than I can tell, and frequent changes of color. And once I saw how half his face, beginning at the ear, was covered in dry blood until it reached the middle of his face. And after that, the other half was covered in the same way. And meanwhile, the first part was as before. I saw this bodily in distress and darkness, and I wished for better bodily sight to see it more clearly. And I was answered in my reason. If God wants to show you more, he will be your light. You need no light but him. For I saw him and sought him For we are now so blind and so unwise that we never seek God until out of his goodness he shows himself to us. And if he graciously lets us see something of himself, then we are moved by the same grace to seek with great longing to see him more fully. And thus I saw him and I sought him. I had him, and I wanted him, and it seemed to me that this is, or should be, our usual way of proceeding. At one moment, my consciousness was taken down onto the seabed, and I saw there green hills and valleys, looking as though they were covered in moss with seaweed and sand. Then I understood this, that if a man or a woman were under the wide waters, if he or she could see God, and God is constantly with us, they would be safe, body and soul, and be unharmed. And furthermore, they would have more joy and comfort than words can say. For God wants us to believe that we can see him constantly, even though we think we see very little of him. And if we believe this, he makes us grow in grace continually. For he wants to be seen, and he wants to be sought. He wants to be waited for, and he wants to be trusted. This second showing was so humble and so small and so simple that my spirits were greatly troubled as I saw it, grieving and fearing and longing. And I doubted for some time 
whether it was a showing. And then several times, our good Lord let me see more clearly so that I truly understood that it was indeed a showing. It was the form and likeness of the foul, dead covering which our fair, bright, blessed Lord bore when he took on human flesh for our sins. It made me think of the holy vernicle at Rome on which he printed his own sacred face during his cruel passion, willingly going to his death and often changing color. Many marvel how it may be the brownness and blackness, the pitifulness and the leanness of this image, considering that he printed it with his sacred face, which is the fairness of heaven, the flower of earth, the fruit of the virgin's womb. Then how could this image be so discolored and so far from fair? I would like to say how, by the grace of God, I understand this. We know through our faith and believe by the preaching and teaching of Holy Church that the Holy Trinity made mankind in his image and in his likeness. In the same way, we know that when man fell so deeply and so wretchedly through sin, the only help through whom man could be restored was he who made man. And he who made man for love, by that same love, would restore man to the same blessed state, or to one more blessed. And just as we were made like the Trinity when we were first made, Our maker wanted us to be like Jesus Christ, our savior, in heaven without end by the miracle of our remaking. Then between these two, he wanted loving and honoring man to make himself as much like man in his mortal life, in our vileness and our wretchedness, as a man without guilt might be. So this means what was said before. It was the image and the likeness of our vile, black, mortal covering, which hid our fair, bright, blessed Lord. But I can boldly say with great confidence, and we ought to believe, that never was man so fair as he until the time his fair coloring was changed by his trouble and sorrow and his suffering and final agony. This was spoken of in the eighth revelation, where more is said about the same image. And when I mentioned the vernicle in Rome, I mean that it moves with various changes of color and expression, sometimes looking more cheerful and animated, sometimes more wretched and deathly, as may be seen in the eighth revelation. And this vision instructed my understanding 
that it pleases God a great deal if the soul never ceases to search. For the soul can do no more than seek, suffer, and trust. And souls that do this are moved by the Holy Ghost, and the splendor of having found God comes by His special grace when it is His will. Seeking with faith, hope, and love pleases our Lord, and finding pleases the soul and fills it with joy. And thus, my understanding was taught that seeking is as good as finding for the time that our soul is allowed to labor. It is God's wish that we seek to behold him, for then he will graciously show himself to us when he wills. And God himself will teach how a soul may behold him, and that most honors him and benefits you, leading you to receive the greatest humility and strength by means of the grace and guidance of the Holy Ghost. For if a soul attaches itself solely to God with true trust, either by seeking him or by beholding him, it is honoring him as much as possible, it seems to me. There are two actions that may be seen in this vision. One is seeking, the other is beholding. The seeking is within everyone's reach. Everyone may have it by God's grace and ought to have it by the church's wisdom and teaching. It is God's wish that we should observe three things in our seeking. The first is that our search should be committed and diligent with no laziness, as it may be through his grace, glad and cheerful, without unreasonable depression and unprofitable misery. The second is that for his love, we await him steadfastly, without grumbling and struggling against him, until our life's end, for life lasts only a short while. The third is that we should trust him utterly, with sure and certain faith, for that is what he wishes. We know that he will appear suddenly and joyfully to all those that love him, for he works secretly, and he wishes to be perceived, and his appearance will be very sudden, and he wants us to trust him, for he is most kind and approachable, blessed, May he be. What freedom Julian urges us in today's passage that our only effort and longing and expenditure of spiritual energy needs to be to seek for God. We cannot control whether and when and how God may reveal himself. We can only continually seek. It takes trust to keep this up. And when our trust falters or our own desire flags, perhaps we can turn our attention even more granular, even more immediate, and sink into our senses. 
What I mean is that our work as humans living in the world created by the divine is to keep our eyes peeled for that divine presence, to keep our ears open, to sharpen our senses by attending to the divine whispers around us, to become attuned to God's presence and voice. And then we shall always be ready for that revelation, that beholding when he arrives. Thank you for joining me today. The peace of Christ be with you.